Welcome to the Turkey Hunting USA podcast, covering anything and everything wild turkey with your co-hosts, Billy Barnett and Matthew Myers. The Turkey Hunting USA podcast is presented by Van Meter and Sun Lures, makers of high quality deer and predator lures and trapping baits since 2007. Your one-stop shop for 100% pure, fresh urines and ingredients, quality over quantity. Like them on Facebook at Van Meter and Sun Lures. And now for this week's show. Episode 14 of the Turkey Hunting USA podcast. I am your co-host, Matt. I'm joined by co-host, Billy. Billy, we got a, another week into spring. Yep. Uh, almost here for sure this time. Uh, just, well, I've already been one once, and you're right on the doorstep of getting to go. So, yeah, it's uh, yeah, just keep it's just here. keep rubbing it in. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, seasons uh, seasons across the way are opening up, and seeing more people out hunting and traveling. And I saw out west, California just opened up here recently, and saw some folks out that way getting it done. So yeah, states coming in all over the place. Yeah, I've sent a bunch of pictures out of Texas, and, um, you know, I, I was going to say this, too. A lot of people that I've talked to that's already been hunting this year, they they say the numbers are really good this year, so hopefully we uh, have a good season to look forward to. Yeah, I would I would agree with that also, and I've noticed that myself just here locally. But, uh, yeah, you'll be heading out again here soon, and we'll talk more about that later. But this week, uh, we got another special guest. We have... Tanner Burns from Full Draw Taxidermy joining us, and uh, Tanner has um, completed his U.S. Super Slam. He's a very avid hunter, and uh, we're going to talk to him about his journey and completion of the the U.S. Slam, and then we can also dive in, talk to him about his successful business as a taxidermist, and if, if anybody out there has not checked out his Instagram page especially, where he shows videos of his mounts as he's completed them and and things like that, they need to because uh, and this guy's a flat out artist. Oh, it's beautiful work. Yeah, he he does some excellent turkeys. Um, yeah, he's uh, he's definitely a professional taxidermist when it comes to turkeys. And you know that that's all I've looked at. I'm sure he's good at the rest of it, but turkeys especially. Yeah, I think he. Did. I think he dabbles in in a little bit of everything, um, but he's you know he's put a lot of work into it. And as I've heard him in the past, he's come a long way to get to where he is now. But um, he's kind of got his hand in this, that, and the other. So we'll talk to him about that and whatever else we come across. So I think it'll be a really good interview, and look forward to talking to Tanner. Yeah, he's got he's got a little bit of everything to talk about. So he's he's all the way across the board with turkey hunting, and I mean I don't know if you could be any you know get anything more than what he has yeah and i i want to talk to him about you know uh for someone that's out on the road and getting their their turkey to him some things that they can do that maybe could help other people uh, if they want to get their their turkey mounted whether it's going to him or not he could give some ideas and pointers on getting your uh your cape or the turkey itself sent off to the taxidermist or getting it back home from your trip whether driving or uh flying and all those different things that go into it. And not to mention, man, he's uh, pretty well known for the way he completed his U.S. Super Slam in Hawaii with uh, his white turkey, which he mounted himself, obviously. And um, uh, it, it did pretty well there last year, I believe, in the uh, 
NWTF convention show where they went through and did the uh, the awards. So we'll talk to him about that also. And yeah, again, whatever else we can come up with. Yeah, he's a, uh, you know, I, I've heard about most of the highlights that he's done. And, uh, you know, I think he was the youngest person to complete a U.S. Super Slam. And, um, but I haven't really heard any stories about how his traveling, you know, uh, how he got there, stuff like that, you know, the logistics of how he uh, accomplished that. And it's going to be interesting to dive into that and ask him about his techniques and, you know, I'm sure he's got his own ways that he he went about uh, planning these trips and how he scouted on the public land and stuff like that. So it'll be a uh, it'll be a interesting uh, guest to have on tonight. So yeah, and he's another one that's been on with with Dave Owens on the Penhody Project, and he's you know familiar and hunting with some of the other guests we've already had on this show. So uh, you know, kind of keeping the ball rolling with that too. So. We'll stop. Uh, we'll stop talking about it, and we'll get over and, and talk to him. Sounds good. Tanner Burns from Full Draw Taxidermy, our guest this week on the Turkey Hunting USA podcast. Tanner, uh, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time to come on to talk to us. Uh, as I told you guys earlier, I appreciate y'all having me on, man. I enjoy talking turkey. Uh, for a little, you know, I got I get customers in here every day, so I'm pretty much talking turkey every day. But <laughs> it doesn't get that old. No, I bet not. And you know, you're a you're a busy man with your uh, your actual job. Assuming you're still doing that, we'll find out some more about yourself here in a little bit. And obviously, your taxidermy and your family. So definitely appreciate it. Uh, yeah, awesome, man. Yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah. So uh, a little bit about yourself. Uh, How'd you get started in, in everything, Tanner, from the get-go, like with, with hunting in general and then to where you are now? Oh, well, I, I guess to condense it, I could probably do a whole podcast on that. But uh, my dad, he wasn't uh, he wasn't much of a – I don't know that my dad has ever killed a, a turkey in the spring in his lifetime, but my dad was a, was a small game hunter. Uh, you know, he liked hunting squirrels and rabbits, and we deer hunted and did that kind of thing. But he was always taking me out when I was young, so that's – you know, that's kind of a short, you know, I guess synopsis there of how I got started. Um, but, uh, but my dad, uh, what, I don't know what made me different than him, but my dad was always really super proud of me. I could tell like when I killed a deer, when I started killing turkeys, like praise wasn't easy to come by with my old man, you know? And, uh, man, he would, he would turn into a different dude like how proud he was of me when it came to that. And I don't know if that's what built it up in me or not, but I think it is. Um, just seeing my dad proud of me made me want to do it even more, you know, and that still, you know, drives me today. Obviously not as much as it did, but, you know, he's still the first dude I text. Anytime I shoot a, a turkey or a deer, I send him a picture. And, you know, he's not, he's not quite as proud as he was when I was 9 or 10, but um, but still that's that's what that's what lit the fire for me early and then as far as turkey hunting goes uh you know i turkey hunted when i was younger and uh and you know had killed just a handful of turkeys but then i was introduced uh to chubbs in alabama and uh i guess around 2012 and uh just seeing his passion for turkeys you know just like just like anytime you got a friend that's really into something a lot of times that can rub off on you and uh, that's what happened. And and uh, I know people are wondering, you know, how how we kind of met. But if you listen to his podcast where he talked about uh, 
the guys that he met that camp down there every year that took him under his wing when he was young. Well, those were the gym teachers from my high school. And uh, so those guys were like the town turkey hunters, man. They were, you know, everybody knew that they were badass turkey hunters. And, um, yeah, but anyway, getting into that camp, man, it was kind of like an old school camp and they didn't, they didn't take outsiders, you know? And uh, I was in high school, man, and we would turkey call during gym class and stuff, as bad as that is to say. And they would, you know, they would teach me about turkey hunting and things like that. But anyway, I would beg them. I was like, man, let me go to Alabama with you because they would go down to Alabama during spring break. And I think they would take an extra week. And, uh, of course, they would never let me. And then uh, around 2012, I think I was a freshman in college, and I finally talked them into it, you know. And uh, and they took me down there, and that's where I met Kenny. And uh, – when, when I got when we were on our way driving down there, they were like, "Man, if you get a chance to go hunting with with Chubbs, you better do it." He's like, "Cause he's on a different level than than even us now." And uh, lucky enough, man, I didn't push the issue or whatever. But you know, I'll never forget it. We were sitting at that camp, and I think I'd been there for three or four days, and he just came walking up to me. He's like, "Man, you want to go turkey hunting in the morning?" And uh, you know, I was like, "Oh, absolutely!" And uh, that was it, man. We hit it off and. Uh, we hunted that time down there and I started going to that camp every year with them and we would hunt a little bit together and Chubb started doing his slam, you know, and I started traveling around with him a little bit here and there. And, you know, then I started traveling on my own. And so it's just like your classic, you know, uh, turkey hunting story where you got the old timer teaching the, teaching the young guy how to turkey hunt. And that's really what it's been, but that's kind of the the short story of it. Yeah. So it, it's like, Kenny had the mentor, which turned out to be your your teachers in school, and then kind of fed down to him, and then he passed it on to you yourself. Yep, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I kid with him all the time, man. I'm like, the only dude because that first year I went down there, I went out one evening by myself, and I found a bunch of turkey sign where I went to, and like an idiot, I came back, you know, and and was saying, "Oh man, this place is eat up with turkey sign." And next thing you know, old Chubbs comes waddling over to me and, and wants to go turkey hunting. I'm like, "Dude, the only reason you asked me to go turkey hunting is because you knew I found some turkey sign." And he's like, "No, that's not it." But I'm just kidding around. But I like to give him a hard time about that. <laughs> well, I do want to. I do want to mention since you uh, threw it in there, as far as the gym teachers turkey calling in class all day long. I, that must be a thing everywhere because that that's what I do. I'm a uh, I'm a PE teacher, and it's it's. Kind of, it's oh really? I, I didn't realize you were a, you were a teacher. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, I've been doing it for shoot for eleven, twelve years, something like that. Yeah, I'm an elementary PE teacher, man. I got K through six, and those are the toughest critics I've ever come across with a turkey call. They'll uh, oh, ask yeah, if they'll, you're they'll a duck, a chicken, it, or <laughs> tell you just to oh, shut I, up. I taught. Uh, I taught sixth grade for uh, for six years, man. So they'll cut you down quick. I mean, if there's oh, anything, grade. if there's yeah. anything a matter with your appearance or anything, mm-hmm. you're gonna hear about it with without a filter, man. I'd be like, man, they're like, Mr. Burns, what are them shoes you got on today? I'd you know, I'd have to be like, I'd just brush it off, and then I'd go to the bathroom and like check out my shoes and like, man, is there really something <laughs> matter with these? <laughs> you start thinking, yeah, you start thinking about it. Yeah, they uh, like, they get in your head, man. Yeah, it's uh, uh oh yeah. Yeah, the sixth graders, they kind of get that vibe that uh, they're moving on to junior high, high school or middle school or whatever. And, uh, yeah, they're, 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 they can turn into a little bit different people at times, but uh, well, they keep you honest start, for sure. They start off pretty innocent at the beginning of the year, and then by the end of it, man, they're just full-fledged seventh graders that are just, you know, they're just turned into little demons. 
Yeah, well, that, that's that's really cool how you got started with everything, uh, Tanner. And also, too, I don't think we've mentioned it. Where are you from or where are you now and uh, your business? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I grew up in uh, in a little town over in the eastern panhandle of West Virginia called Moorfield. And uh, I ended up going to college at, at West Virginia Wesleyan. Uh, I played baseball in college, and uh, that's kind of what brought me to the area. It was a baseball scholarship, but um, – Anyway, uh, I fell in love with Buck, with Buckhannon um, while I was here going to school or going to college, and uh, I never left, man. You know, I graduated and stuck around and taught school here for, oh gosh, I guess about nine years, and then called it quits teaching uh, just over a year and a half ago and started doing the taxidermy thing full-time. So, Oh, so you're not teaching uh, anymore. That's cool. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm uh I'm actually uh I'm actually driving school bus instead now. It's crazy as that sounds, but uh I really just needed the insurance of the teaching part, you know, man. I got to where I was so busy out here every day that I was going to teach. I was just losing money, you know, and uh, I had the kids, so I would teach and you know, come home and work. I was like, man, this I'm not going to be able to do this, but I I need insurance. And uh, I was like, man, I'll just drive a school bus. They, you know, they're done early in the morning. Don't have to go back in the evening and uh it's worked out perfect, man. Like I'm back in the shop right now every morning by eight o'clock and don't have to leave out again till three. And then I'm back by four 30. I'm here all day to work and help out with the kids. You know, if my wife needs help. So it was, uh, when I told everybody what I was doing, they're like, what, that, you know, it's not going to work. And, uh, it has worked. So it's kind of got to say, ha ha. And everybody that you know, said, I wasn't going to be able to make that work. Well, that just goes to show how good you are with your, your, your business. And we'll talk more about that later, but, uh, branching off from that, Tanner, I'd like to talk about, uh, you know, you, you completed your Super Slam in uh, unbelievable fashion in 2021. Um, you kind of mentioned how that got started, traveling with Kenny and, and, and all that. But, you know, take us through your journey of that completion. And are there some certain hunts that come to mind, you know, throughout the 49 states? Uh, you know, just... You know, just the, the tough ones off the top of your head, you know, the ones where where it was a serious grind, you know. Um, I've said it on a couple other ones, but Louisiana, just like a lot of people gave me a lot of trouble. And, you know, some different places like that. But really, man, uh, capping it off with a white one on the on the 49th, you know, even though it's been a couple of years now, it still seems like a dream to to think that happened on the 49th bird. And just, you know, what are the chances of that? And I just still feel really fortunate that that was able to happen like that, man. It's crazy. I asked uh, Dave, you know, I, I met you guys in uh, Hawaii there in the Walmart. In yeah, the, yeah. In peanut that. butter aisle, actually. <laughs> yeah, where, the you corner, the there you guys... where you find all the turkey hunters. Absolutely. Yeah, you two were the first ones I... <laughs> First ones I've seen when I got on the island. So, uh, yeah. but yeah, anyway, I, I, I told that. Dave, I said, man, to know about, you know, I, I was, I was asking about what kind of excitement he had, you know, um, knowing about that white bird and it was up there and stuff. And, you know, that, that would have been pretty cool and, uh, to uh, have that going into your last state, you know, and, uh, just a yeah. opportunity. Did you, I mean, what what was your feelings on that? I mean, I'm sure he told you about it when you right. Uh, yeah, so, so got he there. got there like well, he got there like three days before us. You know, he's got the flexibility in his schedule to be able to do that. And when we decided to go, he's like, "Man, I'm gonna go early and find us some turkeys." So I was like, "You know, that, that's awesome of you to do that." But anyway, I I can't remember if it was day two or whatever when he saw him scouting, but. uh Anyway, he saw that turkey roosted in the tree and uh, was like, man, I saw, I saw a white gobbler, 
and you know you're not gonna believe it and, you know he was texting me the whole time updating me he was like but man we probably ain't gonna see him again because what you don't see in the video is you know uh, in the video you see the gobbler roosted in the tree but about five minutes after that a car came up the mountain uh and you know he thought it may be another turkey hunter scouting or whatever so he got off the road but then the truck drove right under the turkey and uh, blew him off the roost, man. And he, mm. and you know how steep that mountain is. And he said that turkey sailed as far as he could see. You know, if a turkey sets his wings up there, he's oh, flying yeah. miles, you know. And uh, he was like, I doubt we ever see him again. But, you know, I got some video footage of him and uh, all that. So it was in the back of my mind, you know, that that was up there. But, if, you know, it was really something I didn't give another thought after he mentioned it to me, you know, just because – you know, that just, just, seems, just a, seems like a dream, you know? And Yeah, uh, that'd be an unbelievable dream come true to be able to finish your last <laughs> state with a white bird. I mean, unreal, yeah, really. Man. And for it all yeah. to be on video, too, that's it's amazing how that came together for you. And, man, it's it, yeah, really it was, cool. It was it was something, man, even thinking back on it now, you know, it was, it was, well, a, even, it was a cool moment. Even if you take out the the white turkey, you know, I, I went to Hawaii last year. Billy's been a couple times. Um just to just to finish it there in such a unique place on the mountain, you know that alone is a you know what a way to go out. But to do it with a a white turkey yeah. that you may never see or haven't seen before, man, it's just yeah, it's incredible how man, we were out. yeah yeah we were all in disbelief. Man, what I've done showing the video is you know, and I didn't think think on this you know until after you know my adrenaline wore off or whatever. But I'm walking down and I got the turkey by the head or whatever. And I look at Sleazy, man, and Sleazy's got, he's got the biggest smile on his face, man. It's not like, it's like the most genuine smile you've ever seen. He's got big tears rolling down his cheek as he's looking at me. It's not like he's looking at me, but yeah. he's almost like looking through me, man. And uh, looking back on now, I'm like, man, that guy really loves turkeys and he loves me, man. Because you could just tell it was just like pure joy in his face, you know, when I'm looking at him. It was, uh, it was super special. Yep. Hmm, that's all. Yeah, you, yeah. You had great yeah. company. Not to mention, I mean, with with Dave and then Eric, I've been able to talk to him a little bit. He just seems like a incredibly great person. That, like you said, he just really loves turkey hunting and just seems like a great yeah, dude man. to be around. So he is, man. He's one of the best. He really is. He just he's good all around. You couldn't say a bad word about him, even if you wanted to. Right. Um. Yeah. On, on that topic, Tanner. Um. I guess to go off of some things I have heard in the past with your your travels, do you mind to share just a little bit about um, on your quest when you were in uh, Nevada, the the hunt you would have had there in Nevada, how that kind of broke down and summarize that for us a little bit? Yeah, sure. So, you know, Nevada only gives out, you know, just I think it's like two or maybe it's even one non-resident tags, you know, so it's basically impossible. But what you could do is find yourself a landowner and uh, get a hold of a landowner tag and hunt it that way and um back back when i did nevada it was before this really got ramped up so it really wasn't hard to get a landowner tag so you know i did did a little research and found a landowner and he gave me the tag you know he didn't didn't even sell it to me but i think i gave him like a 100 bucks just just to be nice or whatever but you know i told the guy when i was coming and all that kind of stuff and uh when i got there there was three other hunters there, you know, and this was not a big track of land, you know, when I rolled into Nevada, you know, there was already three guys there and there's only one flock of turkeys on the whole thing. And that's, you know, it's still basically winter there. All the turkeys are grouped up in one flock. There's like a flock of like a hundred turkeys on this guy's property. And uh, I roll in the evening before season 
and everybody's at like a different quarter, you know, corner of this property, just watching this flock. And I'm like, man, this is bad. So, uh, <laughs> man, yeah, so it's like, this is not good. And nobody's communicating with each other. Like all the, all the dudes are really standoffish to me, you know, cause I'm from West Virginia and like, what the hell is this guy doing here? You know, this Nevada turkeys only, you know, kind of stuff like that. And, uh, so I also had California planned on that trip. So, that evening before you know before it's time to fly up to roost and i saw these guys there i was like i was like man i'm just gonna head over to california i'll let these boys you know hunt these turkeys for the next couple days and i'll come back from california or even if i did california i was like i'll come back to nevada and the landowner kind of talked me out of it he was like man why don't you just stay a day you know it, it won't be that bad you know and uh so, you know, after talking to him, I was like, oh, man, I'm I'm already here. You know, I might as well stay. I would have had to drive all through the night over to California to get there in time to hunt in the morning. So I got up on this big bluff overlooking overlooking the valley that I was in, and you could see the, you know, 100 turkeys in the wide open. It's not hard to keep up with. But anyway, there's only these three big trees on the property, and, you know, that, you know that's where they're going to roost at. And um Anyway, the the turkeys uh, the turkeys start flying up that evening, and uh, everybody's watching them. Like I said, from a different corner or whatever, and they flew up in these big trees. And I'm trying to think how this is going to work because you're not going to call up a flock of 100 turkeys right here. You know, I guess if you had a decoy or a strutter, maybe you would get one to break off or something. You know, so you basically got to get in front of them or you got to ambush them. So I'm surveying this from this bluff, man, and I look at the base of their tree and there's this big root ball where this other tree had been uprooted or whatever, but it was almost like a hole, you know? And uh, I was like, man, that's where I'm getting in the morning. I'm getting directly under them in that root ball and I'm going to hope that one of them flies, you know, in the vicinity that I could shoot them. And I started crawling in under them, you know, probably like two hours before daylight or something crazy. And, and uh, I got in that root ball and it was perfect, dude. When I got in it, I was like, it's, it's going to happen from here, you know? And, um, so I got in that root ball, you know, I'm just like a little sniper laying there, you know, but the bad thing is I got the trees to my back, you know, cause I, cause I think they're going to land, you know, where they flew up from in that field. So I'm just sitting there the whole morning and, you know, I got a hundred turkeys, 15, 20 yards right behind me, maybe not even that far. And I don't know how many gobblers were in there, man, probably 20 couple. And when it started getting daylight, man, they're just erupted, you know, gobbles here, drumming. I mean, hens cackling, you know, it was one of the coolest experiences of the whole time, you know, just listen to that turkey talk in the morning and it got daylight and uh, they started hitting the ground. And when they started hitting the ground, man, it wasn't like they took turns. I mean, they started pouring out of those trees. It was almost like, you know, when the, when the monkeys come on the Wizard of Oz, it was crazy, you know, just, just <laughs> pouring out of that tree. And I was like, you know, I was going to take my time at that point. And I was like, man, I got to shoot one of these things where they get all bunched up or I'm going to kill daggone 10 of them, you know. And uh, so one of the gobblers landed over kind of to the right and you know confirmed that he had a long beard or whatever and i shot him and uh man there was uh luckily those other guys you know nobody had i didn't see those other guys till i started walking out i don't know if they were you know planning on heading them off somewhere but i was like man what other strategy would you have at this point i was expecting to have to you know flash my flashlight at them as they're walking trying to do the same thing i did but uh you know they never got they never got really in the vicinity when i walked out of there uh you know, I met one guy on the road and he was, he was pretty nice. And, uh, I actually probably did him a favor because it was almost like busting up a, flo a flock in the fall. You know, they probably had a chance at him after I left, you know, they got all scattered up or whatever, but, uh, that was cool, man. Just, to just to be under that many turkeys like that. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's uh there's all kinds of different states that I can think back on and just different experiences like that, you know. And I guess that's what kind of made it cool to hunt them in all the forty nine states, you know, just uh you can think of a state and it brings back memories, you know, that you've almost, you know, kind of slipped your mind until you start thinking back. So yeah, it does, man. But it's it's funny how you can all forty nine of them. I guess because there was so much pressure on each one of them, man. You can remember, you can remember a lot of details, man. All all it takes is somebody just bringing up the state or whatever, and you can tell them everything. You know, just kind of like I did with Nevada, and I can do that with every one of them. You know, it's just because there was so much uh, there was so much build up and and uh, and just so much joy when you got each one of them. You know. It's uh, it's kind of funny, but I can even hear certain songs on the radio, and it takes me back to certain states. I don't know why that is, but <laughs> it's maybe I was cruising through there, and the song came on. It kind of, I don't know, some stuck with me in that state for some reason. Just the little things like that, uh, every yeah, now and then, too, just man. take even, me back. Uh, yeah, even food or you know, all kinds of weird stuff like that. Yeah. Billy, it's probably all those karaoke bars. <laughs> when you... Yeah, yeah, yeah. getting get him head to the bar, man. Go celebrate. <laughs> yeah, ain't nothing wrong with ain't nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, I'm just kidding. Billy's not doing that. Anybody that's listening to this, which may be like five people, so. <laughs> Taylor, uh, uh, right. how how did you? Like get to the point where you said I want to go after all these states. Um, did it start with like a grand slam, or did it like uh, did that trip to Alabama? Did that kind of get in your blood to travel then, or how did it all start uh, from there? Well, you know, when Chubb started doing it, um, I, it still wasn't even something I wanted to do. You know, I would travel with them like once or twice a year for maybe a week at a time as he was doing his and I was just, you know, kind of just along for the ride or whatever. And, uh, I still didn't, you know, hadn't thought about doing it or whatever. I was just learning from him and, you know, just enjoying, but you know, like you just said, man, I had never traveled up until that point. Like I'd never even been on an airplane before the first time I flew to, you know, rapid city, South Dakota to Turkey hunt with him. And, uh, I don't know what it was, man. Maybe just because I hadn't done it, but the whole traveling experience, you know, it could have just not been the turkey hunt either, but the whole traveling thing, I was like, man, this is fun. You know, I was, you know, 20, 21 at the time. had never been out like that. So it was cool just, just see the country, man. I was like, man, you know, this is fun. And, uh, and, but anyway, after a couple of years of that, it really did get in my blood. Like there was no way I wasn't going to do it every year. I mean, it, it, it became a part of me doing that you know and uh next thing you know you know i started doing that for a couple of years and i'm maybe like 15 states in and uh and chubb starts he's like man you should do it you know he's like if you start now you could be one of the youngest to ever do it or maybe the youngest to ever do it and i'm like dude i don't care about killing a turkey in all 49 states you know and uh you know as the seasons went on or whatever you know as i got more and more just uh just consumed with turkey hunting or whatever you know it's it, it became something I was going to do. You know, I can't remember the moment when, when I finally said I was going to do it, but you know, when, when it did, man, it, it went from, you know, after a few years, you know, I wasn't able to travel as much with Chubbs probably after like that 15th or, you know, somewhere in there because he had different States to do and I had different States to do, but I had a lot of flexibility and I did a lot of traveling alone and I had a couple buddies I did it with, but 
you know, once you started doing it, man, it was just, you know, it was a rush going to the new places and trying to get it done. And it really just became addicting uh, at the end of the day. And it wasn't, you know, it was just, it was, if you haven't ever went somewhere and, you know, put your back against a wall for three days uh, to kill a turkey, I don't know. I don't know why it's so addicting, but it was. And, uh, man, you know, after, after probably, I don't know, 2015 man then i started ramping up you know i'd visit eight or ten states a year and uh mm-hmm. and that's kind of kind of the the short the short story on on how i got how i got going i've got a buddy that i'm uh he's kind of been going with me the last few years just trying to get his grand slam and he's kind of he he's exactly like the re- everybody else nobody says well i want to go after this right off the bat and then they're You're like, right. well, I want to, you know, I'm, I might get a state or two here and there and, you know, eventually get it done. And then the farther yeah. it goes, I mean, he's already, he's heading out with me in a couple of weeks on a couple of states and already planning for next year. I mean, he's, I can tell yeah. the fire is starting to build up in him. So Yeah, I don't know when it happens, man, but it's somewhere along there, you know, it's just like anything else, this, this becomes a part of what you do, man. The game planning for new states and all that. It's not just the hunt that gets in you. You know, it's the game planning and the scheduling and all that kind of stuff, man. It's just, it's just awesome, you know, decade like, for me just being able to do that. Like you said, seeing new places was really big part of it for me, too. It's, uh, you know, you, you just never know what you're going to see. Um, you know, I've never seen uh, the Badlands or anything like that. And you drive yeah, through that place. I mean, you drive yeah, you through there. You on the moon. Like, yeah, I mean, I didn't even know anything like that existed. So, <laughs> and, you know, man. you see pictures of it, but it's until you drive through something like that or Mount Rushmore or any of those sites, you know, drive past them, you know, it's uh, you don't really understand it until you see it in person. No, and I think a lot of it for me, too, was just wanting to become a better turkey hunter and be a better turkey hunter because, you know, I'm not the one that came up with this thought, but Chubbs always used to tell me, he would he would, uh, he would say, man, anybody can, you know, kill a turkey in the same state every year, the same area, you know, he's like, you want to be a good turkey hunter, you want to challenge yourself, go to a new piece of dirt and figure it out and kill a turkey. It's like, then you'd be a good turkey hunter. You know, I thought about that. I was like, man, he's right. You know, it's, it's, it's not, I'm not saying it's not hard, but going to the same place every year and kind of doing the same thing gets mundane. And uh, it's, it's really not as challenging because, you know, a lot of places, turkeys, you know, roost in the same kind of spots every year and so forth and so on. So it really does make you, make you a lot better turkey hunter when you, when you start hitting the road like that and trying to figure it out. Yep. That's very true. Yeah, just just committing yourself, especially doing it by yourself, going on a trip, just to put it and drive and go, and go to somewhere that you you've never been. That that on its own is is a big step. I remember when I did it for the first time, and it was kind of like, all right, I'm doing this. You know, I'm I'm alone. I'm going to go to a place I've never been before. We'll just see how it how it pans out. Um, yeah, and then when it all comes yeah, just together, that, you that, kill a turkey. That unknown. Yeah, it makes it all worth yeah. it. On the way up there, you're like, man, what am I doing right now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah, for sure. And and you get out there and you're struggling and you're just not that. Just that same mindset you said. I mean, it's gone through my mind a bunch when I first started doing this. It, it's not like that now. These last couple of years, couple three years, but when I first started traveling, especially by myself, I'd get out there and just struggle and struggle. And in my mind, I just kept thinking. I could be at home. I could be doing something else. Like, 
you know, whatever, family, yada, 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 or yeah. just hunting turkeys at my own place. Yeah. And then once you find that success, it's kind of like, you know what, I can do this. You know, it, it, it can come together and work out. So just that encouragement of people just trying to do it. And, and uh, I, I think with, with you, Tanner, the way you've described yourself, you're a hard worker. Um, you can tell that with your business, juggling multiple jobs, your dad. And then I would assume as a college athlete, you're also very competitive. So I think you've got all the ingredients necessary to be a, you know, a hardcore traveling turkey hunter. Yeah, yeah. The, every good turkey hunter I've met has been very competitive. So <laughs> you just mentioned that's funny. I was like, yeah, it's probably a probably one of the key ingredients for a turkey hunter is the competitiveness. <laughs> yeah, when you like you said, when you've got a few days or two days to to get it done, you've got to be. You can't take no for an answer. And how the heck did yeah. you juggle spring baseball with turkey season? <laughs> uh, man, yeah. Uh, well. So I only played, rabbit hole here, but I'm just curious. Yeah, yeah. No, I just uh, I actually quit playing after my sophomore year of, uh, of college, and um, so then I was able to hit the road, you know, like I wanted to. And a lot of the reason, a lot of the reason I quit playing was uh, was turkey hunting, man. You know, I'd I'd got to go those couple times, and um, I was like, man, you know, this became addicting, and I was. You know, those first couple of years, I'd be showing up late to practice, you know, because I'd been out turkey hunting that morning and, and all that stuff. And just, you know, just my heart wasn't in it anymore like it was, you know, this kind of took over me. So, yeah, uh, once once the baseball was over, because I'd played baseball my whole life up until then. And uh, but, you know, that's probably another thing now that you mentioned that was, you know, I finally had the freedom to travel. Like that first year I went to Alabama, you know, which I think was my sophomore year. And I was just able to sneak away, you know, not even for a full week, but just for a couple of days. And, uh, you know, and when I finally quit playing and I had the flexibility to do that, I was like, all right, man, I'm going to start turkey hunting like I've always wanted to, you know, because I always loved it. I was just able, never able to do it like I wanted to until then. Yeah. Well, talking about that, Tanner, did you have any like uh, when you're planning out your states and all that stuff, did how did you do that? Uh, did you save money all year? Did you, uh, you know, I, I made envelopes for mine and I would start putting money in those, and that's how I kind of planned out, you know, and saved up some money. But did you ha- did you do pretty much something like that, or how did you put all well, that together? No, no, a smart person would have done that, but I just rolled the dice. And I was like, if I break even, I have enough money to pay my bills and go on these trips at the end of the year. It's been a good year, but I knew. So when I went to when I went to school, man, I knew, you know, just doing the teaching thing, I wasn't going to have the money to travel like I needed to. So that's kind of what brought me into the taxidermy part of it. Because I was, you know, teaching school, you still get, you know, you get the summers off and you get all kinds of holidays and things like that off. So I was like, man, you know, taxidermy would be a good thing to supplement my income and pay for some of this stuff. So it was really, you know, kind of why I got into it in the beginning was was to help pay for some of these hunting trips. So in the beginning, you know, before this thing turned into what it is now, uh, you know, I just used all the money for my taxidermy was just put put to the side basically for, for traveling and doing that kind of stuff for the first, you know, five or six years of me doing taxidermy. That's it just paid for paid for all my travels and things like that. Yeah. And it, did you like as far as the states that you were going to go to the next year? Did you just like, you know, I, I tried to cl- I tried to. Well, I tried to cluster them up, you know, I'd be like, all right, if I got it. So if I had a week, you know, I was, I was trying to do three states or at least two in that week. 
So I would start planning, you know, several months in advance, just like anybody else. And I would, I would try to cluster them up just so I wouldn't have to drive as far or whatever. So if I had a week and usually, usually I could, I could get two full weeks to chase them, you know, so five or six states and then a handful of weekends to do, to do, you know, just one state, you know, so I would, I would typically plan in the spring, you know, best case scenario, eight states or if things worked out better than that, you know, even more than that, but anywhere, you know, anywhere from six to 12, I would plan out, you know, things would go good here. I'll go there. But, you know, I always had six or eight, you know, definite that I was, I was planning on going to, you know, with that two week period and then taking some long weekends and things like that away from teaching. Yep. And did you like, as far as scouting for new areas, did you use Onyx and all that stuff and just kind of find well, areas at like the beginning? That at the beginning, Onyx wasn't even a thing, you know, <laughs> yeah. as crazy as that is, you know, it was, uh, we had this app at the beginning, it was called Gaia, I don't know, but it was, uh, it was similar to Onyx, it just didn't show the property lines, but it showed topo maps and things like that, and you could download offline maps, and uh, anyway, so we used Gaia for a couple of years, or when I first started, I used Google Maps, but you know, I was I was always <laughs> as, as as bad as it is to say on every day on my planning period from teaching. I was calling, I was calling uh, this you know state state wildlife officers or whoever I could or you know NWTF chapter members. I mean, just crazy stuff that I would find a telephone number online and just looking for whatever nugget I could get to, uh, you know, just to just to help me in my and point me in the right direction you know and and a yeah. lot of times man if i just got you know if i just got a an area or a name or whatever just to get me started i could take it from there you know i could i could look at a map and or even you know the harvest data once you figured out how to do that or looking up the looking up the the harvest report by county from the year before you know once i got that and i could look into that and then what really changed the game was when onyx came out you know and you could put that on a desktop and you could see the county and you could see the public within the county. And really, once in, you know, once you had that, it's I'm not saying it was easy, but it wasn't that hard. You know, you could look at a good no. county, look at the public in that county. And that was it. You know, that was all you needed. Yeah. So you go through, start dropping yeah. pins of places you want to check out first and second. And yeah. next thing yeah. you know, it's you got your game plan right there in front of you. So, yeah, at the, at the beginning, we were ordering national forest maps, like the, you know, like the old paper maps and, and marking stuff down on there. So it was, was kind of cool to come in at the beginning. And then, you know, by the end of it, things had changed drastically. Yeah. Yeah. On X really changed the game man. with, with the things you can do with that. It's, it's, it's unreal. Yeah, it almost it almost shouldn't be legal. It's it's so nice, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. The whole, you know, dry, it's not like I'm not going to use it, but you know, dropping pans and just it it takes a lot of uh, like I never forget when I first started hunting with Chubbs, man. He would to get a to get a pin on a turkey, he would take a compass out and he would get a bearing, a compass bearing on where that turkey was. You know, if we heard one really far off. And if we had to make a loop or whatever we would, he knew when he got to the reciprocal of that bearing, then we were close to a turkey. You know, I mean, he would do wild stuff like that, you know, before people were even thinking of it. But, yeah, he would he would drop pins on, on turkeys just by getting that compass bearing and then using the reciprocal of it. Or if we were roosting turkeys out west, he would use that compass. And then, you know, if we were doing it in the dark, trying to get to where he was in the dark, taking that reciprocal and, and knowing that, if we got to the reciprocal of that, you know, we had to be getting close to the rooster turkey. I mean, just some, some really old Pretty school cool. stuff. That, that, wow. Oh, yeah. He, I mean, yeah, it was, it was wild stuff, you know, what he was doing. 
before before anybody else was. Yeah, I'm sure. For, somebody, I'm sure somebody showed him that man, but it was still pretty mesmerizing for him to for me to see that. You know, especially when it worked. You know, he'd be like, all right, we're getting close to reciprocal or whatever. And power, you know, he's right there. I'm like, man, this guy. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that, that's just unreal. It, it's hard to even yeah. think about that now with what we with what we have to use. Yeah, yeah, it is, man. Now you just drop a pen on him and just follow your waypoint right to him. Well, Tanner, I'm curious. You know, I've heard a lot of people, including Billy, once they've finished their slam, what was it like for you going into the 2022 season? Uh, yeah, so that was the year after. Uh, it was, you know, just like anybody else has said, it was, it was different, man, because you didn't have uh, – you know, I'd be lying if I didn't say, you know, it felt like, a, you know, a lot of weight had lifted off of me, but I still was, you know, I still missed that game planning for, all right, I got this many days here or whatever. And I could kind of go back to, you know, the places I wanted to go back to. And it was, uh, it was pretty enjoyable, man. But at the same time that was happening, man, I had, uh, you know, my son was born the year I finished the slam. So going into the next season, you know, he's one and my wife's pregnant again. He's got another, you know, I had another little boy on the way that season after, man. And uh, it didn't hit me that first year that, that my son was around. But the next year, man, the guilt, <laughs> I don't know if you guys struggle with this, man, but the guilt I feel now, I'm glad that wasn't there when the slam was going on because I feel so guilty leaving my wife <laughs> with the two little babies when I go anywhere, man. It almost takes away from the hunt for me now just because i feel so guilty leaving them for that long man like almost anymore like a week-long trip is i still take a week here and there you know it's not out of the question but a three-day trip is, is is much better for me as far as the guilt goes man because i just uh i struggle even even being able to focus what i'm doing man you know just because i'm thinking i'm thinking about them and and feeling bad or whatever and and maybe i shouldn't but it's uh, at the same time, you know, that's that's something I was struggling with or still struggling with. You know, it's traveling, but, you know, it's not like it's not like I can't do it. I still have to do it, <laughs> you know, but uh, it's not going to keep me from going places. But that's uh, that's definitely changed as far as, you know, when I hit the road, man, that's that's a, that's not even in the back of my mind. It's at the front of the mind you know, pretty much the whole time anymore. So I, I don't know if that's normal or not, but it's how it is for me anymore yeah it is it's normal yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i know uh tj johnson uh fellow that makes the you know the badass box calls and i'm sure you guys know tj but uh i went hunting with tj in indiana when my wife was pregnant and uh he was telling me he's like man you know you're not gonna be able to hunt like this once you have once your wife has that baby and i was like yeah, I am TJ, you know, and uh, ain't nobody slowing, ain't nobody slowing me down. And he's like, man, I'm not talking about that. He's like, you're going to feel so guilty leaving, leaving your wife with the baby. He's like, you just watched And, uh, you know, I didn't understand it then, but I, I think about it all the time and saying that, cause I'm sure he must struggle with the same thing when he hits the road. Yep. Yep. Definitely. Same here. Yeah. Yeah. Do but, you, uh, uh still, I'll go, go ahead. ahead. I mean, interrupt. No, yeah. you're all right. Go ahead. I don't even remember what I was going to say now, so you better just go with okay. it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I was going to ask you, um, do you have any plans to do any other slams, maybe go to Canada or chase anything else once you, now that you've got your U.S. slam? Yeah, you just said the two things, man. I want to I go kill a Goulds. Uh, you know, I wish you didn't have to go 
you know, obviously you have to go with an outfitter and, and pay a good bit of money to kill a Goulds unless you draw the Arizona thing that Doc's been putting in for for 30 years and has never drew. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I want to, I want to do the, I want to do the Goulds and, uh, I want to get one in Canada, you know, uh, and another thing when I finished, uh, I hadn't killed a June bird on my slam. So that was on my bucket list at the beginning. I was able to get a June bird and, uh, in Michigan, uh, two years ago. So those, uh, those three things were, were on my bucket list. So the, uh, the Goulds and the, the Canada thing, the, the Goulds thing's probably closer. I got some contacts in Canada that, uh, you know, I've mounted some turkeys for and things like that. And then whenever you're ready, you know, just come on up. So, uh, I'm hoping here in the next couple of years or you know, I'm not in any hurry to do it, but those two things come to mind when you, when you say, if you have anything else you want to do. Yeah. And also, uh, you know, there's a, uh, the uh, Washington Slam. I don't know. You know, I've heard about it, and I don't know. That might be something to go see different parts of Washington. You know, to get all three of those. But um, are is you, that like, you? Is that like all three of the subspecies in Washington? It is. Yeah, you they you can actually oh. get all three, and they call it a Washington Slam. So just another something else out there to chase, I guess, or to. Another challenge, I guess, if you're looking for a challenge. So, you, yeah, you know, every time you time, finish, man. <laughs> you finish well, something, the, you're the, looking forward to something else, you know, it seems like. Yeah, it's hard to distinguish Rios from Marion's a whole lot of times, you know. Be like, oh, I yeah. got Rio right here. Well, there's a Marion right beside him. He's got a dirty tail fan. All right, two up and <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's, you know. I don't get too hung yeah. up on the color of the fans or anything like that. I, I don't either, man. I get customers in here asking me all the time, you know, where's the best place to go to kill a pure Marion? I was like, well, buddy, I'll tell you right now, anytime you shoot one anywhere, you're rolling the dice with what his tail fan is going to be because it just, you know, when you get out there, some are just buffer than others. You could be in the heart of Miriam's country and kill a buff one. I mean, it's just, it's just how it is. Yeah. Yeah. It, when I was chasing the Grand Slam, I had that in my mind. I was like, I want to go, you know, South Dakota and kill a Miriam's and one of the snow white fans, you know, and all that. And uh, yeah. it's after I shot a few, I was like, you know, I really don't care about that as much as I thought I did. <laughs> Yeah, it is nice to to get your hands on a white one, though, man. I missed mm-hmm. I missed one in Washington last year that had the whitest daggone tail fan you've ever seen, and uh, that oh. one's still haunting me right now, dude. And that's how I ended my season was on that miss. And uh, oh man, I like, that's uh, that's... I, I, yeah, I think about him pretty frequently. I mean, he was beautiful, but you yeah. think about the ones that got away, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's what I was going to say. You always remember the ones that uh, that got away for sure. And it's cool you mentioned that about having a goal to kill one in June. Um, I've been to Michigan the last two years, and this year I told myself I'm going to go back up there again, but <clears throat> I want to go up uh, in June and hunt, and we'll hopefully kill one, but at least be hunting in June. Um, yeah, I like it up there. Michigan's close for me, and it's a fun place to hunt, and it's cool that their season extends like it does. Yeah, it's weird hunting on that time of year. When I went up there, man, you know, everything's winding down. People aren't even really talking about turkeys anymore, you know, on social media and things like that. So it's kind of weird time to be hunting them, but it's still cool to do. Just extend your season just one more weekend, you know, <laughs> just like everybody wants to do. Or at least Absolutely. Everybody chases, chases them hard. Yeah, and uh, Tanner kind of shifting gears from the turkey hunting aspect. Um you know, you, we've, we've talked a little bit about your business. You know, you run a successful taxidermy business full-time now. Tell us about that and how you got started with taxidermy and just how you've gotten to where you are today. 
Yeah. So when I was in, when I was in high school, I've always been fascinated by, you know, just like the, the skulls and the, and the horns or whatever, man, when I can remember being little and I would, I would shoot a deer or something with my dad. And if it was a nice one, you know, we would just hack the head off and put the, put the horns on a board or whatever. But man, I would just, I would just, as this may sound creepy, I don't know, but I would just almost stare at that thing. Even when I was a little kid, man, just cause I was so proud of them and just, you know, <laughs> just kind of fascinated that I had, you know, been able to, to kill that thing or, or whatever. If I had a turkey beard and, and spurs when I was a little, I killed my first turkey in fourth, fourth grade. And I took that thing in a Ziploc bag, I think to school for two weeks. And, you know, was showing, <laughs> was showing everybody, but man, that, it's, that stuff has always just fascinated me. So in high school, I started, it was when European mounts started coming on like big time, you know, you didn't see European mounts till around like 2007, probably something like that. And then everybody started doing them. So I was in high school. I like Googled how to do them myself. So I started like boiling skulls for myself and uh, people in town, I think I was boiling them for like 30 bucks or something, you know, way too cheap sure. even for then. And uh, oh yeah, cause it's a nasty that's business a, boiling. That's the thing. nastiest thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> yeah. But some mm. sick part of me enjoyed that, man. Like once the nastiness <laughs> was over and it was like pearly white, you know, I was proud of it. And, uh, and I don't know, man, I just enjoyed doing it. And so then when I went to school, I was still boiling skulls, you know, even in college, I can, uh, I can remember, you know, I'd be outside my apartment and I'd take skulls from back home or, you know, even if I'd done one for something local, I'd be boiling skulls, even at college on the weekends. And, uh, I had this British friend, man, and I'd be out there boiling. And I never forget one morning he came out, he's probably hung over or whatever. And he's like, you know, uh, this may be a bad British accent, but he's like, what are you doing, mate? And I was like, man, this is, you know, I gave him the whole spiel on just, you know, how we display our trophies. And he's like, man, this is barbaric, isn't it? And, uh, I'll never forget him. You know, he couldn't wrap his mind around the whole European mount concept. But anyway, so I knew I was going to be a teaching, like I told you, you know, that was going to be a good supplement to my income. So I started looking into taxidermy schools, uh, I think it was the year between I, when I finished my undergrad and I was working on my master's for teaching. I was like, man, I'm going to go to taxidermy school this summer. I found this like three month long course out in Montana. And, uh, you know, just, it was a little adventure. And, uh, so that's what I did. I went in Montana and went to school and lived all summer, you know, uh, by myself. It was kind of the first time since college that I went to a new place and, you know, I had to make new friends and learn the area and that kind of stuff. And I really enjoyed that. But when I came back and I came back, you know, I, when I went to school, I realized that, I, you know, I loved it, you know, and I had this, you know, I had a whole freezer of animals waiting for me when I got back. So as soon as I got back, I started practicing, right? When fall rolled around, you know, I was open for business, taking deer heads or whatever. And I think I mounted like, you know, just a handful of deer heads that first year. But as things went on and I still hadn't mounted a turkey yet, you know, I'm like three or four years into taxidermy, had never mounted a turkey. And, uh, so I started mounting deer, you know, still mounting deer. And every year I'm, I'm taking 20 or 30 more deer and, you know, my name starts to get out there. And then, you know, as things started building up, I was like, man, I want to figure out how to mount a turkey, you know, like as a taxidermist, you hear all this, you know, you hear nothing but bad things about turkey taxidermy, you know, just how hard they are. And, you know, it's, it's just not worth it, you know? So I started tinkering with it. And, uh, the first one I did, man, same thing. Like I had like a 10 hour day, had like 10 hours in it. The thing was a mess. I had to end up throwing it away. You know, I'd like watch the video 
And I was like, man, these things are impossible. Like these guys weren't lying. And then I had a guy in Pennsylvania, his name was Tim Jordan. I think he's still mountain turkeys today. He was like one of the best turkey taxidermists, like in the early 2000s. And he's still a really good turkey taxidermist. But anyway, he, he, uh, he was doing classes at the time. And I went up to his place and I took a class and, uh, kind of gave me my start. And, uh, I came back, man, and, uh, and had a couple of turkeys in the freezer that I practiced on. And, uh, my wife could could testify to this, man. I would spend all day. I'm talking from daylight to dark on one of those turkeys, and I would get to the end of it, and it would still look like crap, man. I'd hack his beard off, hack, hack his spurs off, and just throw him in the trash, man. I'm talking like 14 hours down the drain. I mean, just dejected. Mm-hmm. But I did that probably like 10 times, man. And it, you know, I just couldn't get him looking how I wanted to. So I ended up taking some more classes, you know, this is, this is years into it, you know, I'm, I'm practicing every, you know, maybe like every couple months I'll gain, you know, I'll, I'll gain enough energy to, to try and tackle one again. But anyway, I started, you know, taking a couple more classes. I took a class with, with a really good uh, turkey taxidermist uh, named John Beard in Dixon, Tennessee. And uh, he showed me some stuff about painting turkey heads. And, you know, you started seeing some more stuff online about turkeys, but I'll tell you when it really sank in, uh, after John's, I started being able to put together, you know, just an okay turkey. I mean, still not very good. And, um, I went to the, I went to the competition in Nashville and took a turkey. And, um, at the competition, I met a fellow named Mike Mazel. He, he ran or runs black wings turkeys out of Florida. And this dude mounts like 250 turkeys a year. I mean, mm-hmm. he's the best, you know, if, if not one of the best in the country. And, uh, I started talking to him and, you know, he knew I like to travel on Turkey hunt or whatever. And, and, and we just headed off and he was like, man, you come down to Florida for, for a week this summer and, uh, I'll show you how to mount a turkey. And, uh, I'm thinking no way did Mike Mazel just offer me to come down to Florida, you know, to, to mount turkeys. And uh, that's probably been, you know, five or probably five or six years ago now. But anyway, man, I went down there and we mounted like 10 turkeys in a week. I mean, that dude can throw a turkey together quick. But for whatever reason, man, it clicked when I was down there with him. And uh, and he was like, when I left there, he was like, I want you as soon as you get back. He's like, tomorrow, you know, drive back. He's like, you need to mount a turkey. Just watch fresh. And he's like, and just keep doing it. And uh, so that's what I did, man. As soon as I got back and it when I got back, I mounted one by myself and, you know, it was, it was a good Turkey and I sent him pictures of it and he was like, and he, he, he'll give you criticism. You know, if it's not good, he's not going to tell you it's good. And, uh, Mike was like, that thing looks pretty good, buddy. And when he said that, I was like, man, I got this now. And, uh, and, uh, the rest is history, man. I started, you know, I went from taking in, you know, no turkeys. And then I got back from Mike's thing, you know, I'd take in like, maybe 15 or 20 that next spring. And then that jumped to 50 or 60. And then the next year it's 80. And then now it's up over a hundred, you know, but that's kind of the, the long, I guess that was kind of long winded, but that's, that's a roundabout way of, of how turkeys got started for me anyway. What's yeah, that's, the, that, that's uh, all great to hear. What yeah. What is the hardest part of mountain turkeys that, the heads or what would you consider the hardest? Not so much the head. Uh, the bad thing is, is just knowing how the feathers lay. Like when you get the turkey on the form, his feathers don't lay like he did when he was alive. I know that, that probably makes makes sense to anybody, but all those feathers are out of whack. So you have to put them 
back in the rows that they were supposed to be in with tweezers. And if your eyes can't see, like, you know, a lot of people look at a turkey mount and don't even know what they're looking for. They don't know about the feather rows and the feather tracks and things like that. But when you start studying their anatomy, every feather has a place and it goes behind, you know, it goes either behind or on top of another feather. And you have to place those individually with a set of tweezers. And then as the turkey dries, they lock into that feather track where they're supposed to be. But <laughs> You know, before I went down to Florida, my eyes just never could see how those feathers were supposed to start lining up. And I was watching Mike working those tweezers, you know, and uh, that's when I really caught on to where the feathers were supposed to lay. And, you know, turkey taxidermy is all grooming. It's all preening. If you can groom one and get those feathers where they're supposed to be, you're going to mount a good turkey, you know. And uh, that's what I struggled with so long was just being just my eyes be able to see that. And, you know, a lot of people listen to this probably, you know, I like I don't even know what he's talking about right now, but if you if you look at a bad turkey, you might know he's bad, and you look at a good turkey, you know he's good, but you don't know why, and it's all in the it's all in how the feathers lay. Yeah, as you say that, um, and you do a great job putting your stuff on social media for people to see. And two things stick out to me when I see a turkey mount is the head, um, whether it the freeze dried and the, the paint job they put on it. That and, as you said, the the way the feathers lay, the feather placement, and man, you do uh, you do outstanding work with both of them. Yeah, it's it's funny, man. The customers notice the heads the most, you know. So if you do a good head, you probably sell a lot of turkeys, you know, because that's what most customers are looking at. They, they, if you don't have the feathers lined up, they may not even realize it, you know. But uh, if you can put a good head on there, that's what most of the customers are looking for. And you know, when people come here, they. 90% of them come here, you know, just because they like, they like the heads, you know. Yeah, so, the, the paint but, job you put on them, they're, they're, those are great. And I'm not just saying yeah, that because we got you on here right now. Like when I'm watching them on, <laughs> on Instagram or whatnot, I'm like, dang it, man. That just that just takes like a, a special artist to do something like that or, well, shit, I, I guess 14-hour days throwing them in the trash can too. <laughs> But, yeah, I, I, I promise you, I'm not an artist, man. I'm the slowest learner. I couldn't put a I couldn't put a stick person on paper, man. That's what maybe <laughs> was such a long learning curve for me, dude, because I'm not artsy <laughs> at all. And a lot of guys that do this have like an art background, you know, but not me, buddy. I mean, I've I've had to learn everything the hard way. <laughs> well, and you didn't give up. Sink in. Yeah, I mean, no. most people no. probably after they did ten threw them in the garbage. They'd say, "I'm done. I'm gonna stick with deer," but. Yeah. You just have well, to have that I, I, passion I had that for talk, it. man. Yeah, well, you know, like I said, it would take about a month before I got the energy to do another, before I got the energy to subject myself to the torture of doing one again, you know. But, yeah, I just, I, you know, I, I love turkey hunting so much that i just like, man, I've got to figure these things out. And, uh, you know, thank God for Mike and down there in Florida when it finally clicked. But it, it, it was a decade. I'm not kidding you, a decade of, of trying to figure it out. Yeah, that goes back to your competitiveness and patience and all that. And that that's great that you had people to, you know, help you out and look up to, kind of like with Kenny and turkey hunting. You know, these folks that's helped you out with your taxidermy business and gotten you to help and get you to where you are today. Yeah, man, that's it's crazy. It's really fortunate to you know meeting Kenny and even meeting Mike because you know Mike's like my mentor with taxidermy, man. I, uh, you know. I've told him before, but I wouldn't, I don't know where I'd be without, you know, those two people, man. It's crazy how just a person here, a person there can, can change things for you like that. Let me ask you this, Tanner, <clears throat> somebody that's a non-taxidermist, uh, like your bird in Hawaii. Can you kind of take us through the steps of what 
you know, I, I guess give some, offer some tips too to somebody else that might want to bring a bird back and have it mounted. But like, take us through some of the steps that what you did to prepare that bird. And, you know, uh, I, I know there's got to be more than just putting it in a garbage bag and, you know, freezing right. it and bringing it home. So what what right. would you tell somebody and kind of take us through that process of how you did that? Well, the problem with, with flying is is you can't bring back the whole turkey or, you know, some guys do, but then you got to have a big cooler and you got to have them frozen and then you got to pay for getting the cooler on the airline. It's just a pain in the butt. So um, you really need to skin them, you know, if you're going to fly with them. And that's not something everybody knows how to do is, is skinning a turkey for a mount. So a couple of years ago, you know, Dave, Dave and I made a video on how to skin one, you know, if you want to bring one back for a mount. So if you're interested in that, you have to check out that video on, on the Pinhoti page or whatever of how to skin one. But, you know, and then a lot of people, you know, think you can't even fly with meat or, or something frozen. There's nothing illegal about flying with meat that's been properly checked. And, you know, as long as you check them in and notch your tag on them or whatever, there's nothing illegal about flying with them. Um, so, you know, I, I fly with turkeys all the time. But anyway, once you get him skinned, you know, I'm not going to go through how to skin them and all that kind of stuff. But once you get them skinned, that's really not a hard process. If you watch that video, you know, all you got to do is get them cool or get them frozen. And then you can, I always put a, a soft shell cooler in my checked bag. And uh, that's what I fly my meat and my capes home with me. Cause you know, if, if I kill a turkey in good shape, I'm saving them no matter what. But uh, anyway, I just always put them in my bag that goes under the plane. I make sure I a lot room for it when I'm on my way out. And, um, you know, a lot of people are like, well, won't they spoil? And, uh, dude, if you're flying, you know, if he's frozen or even cold, he doesn't have to be frozen. And let's say, I don't know, just a long travel time, but let's say you're traveling 10 hours, you know, a turkey's not going to spoil, or at least his skin is not going to spoil in 10 hours. And a turkey is a lot different than a deer or, or even a predator or whatever. I don't know what it is about them, but those jokers, it takes them a long time to spoil. Even it takes the meat a long time to spoil, even if you got the guts in it and everything else. But, yeah, that's, that's, I mean, as long as you get him scunned like it is for the video and put him in your bag, I mean, it, it's, it's a piece of cake, really. You know, a lot of times I'll have a cooler waiting for him. You know, if I park my vehicle at the airport or whatever, I'll have a cooler waiting there and put him into it once I get there just to be overly cautious. But, you know, we did, I just, I went to Hawaii again this year, actually. And, you know, I flew back three capes with me from Hawaii. And, you know, the travel time, you know, to get to West Virginia from Hawaii, you know, and, and our plane got delayed. So it was like, it was like 30, probably 30 hours. Those turkeys were in my checked bag, you know, by the end of it. And then when I pulled them out of there, they were still cold, still good as can be. So, well, it, yeah. Uh, yeah. When you're in a plane, too, it's, you know, I don't know what the temperature actually is down below, but I know it's not heated or anything, or I don't think it would be. So it's pretty no, it's cold. It's got to be cold. Yeah, it's got yeah, it's got to be cold down there. I mean, yeah, so oh. it's it's really, there's, there's nothing to it, to be honest with you. Now, if you start putting meat and capes in your checked bag, the, the one you're carrying with you, I have run into some problems <laughs> with that, but not that they've taken anything. You know, one time we went to Texas and I had, you know, I had like, I can't remember how many capes because, you know, if I, I'll not only take my capes, but, you know, a lot of times whoever I'm traveling with doesn't want their cape, you know, I'll pull the beard and give them the spurs or whatever, and I'll take the skin with me just as long as I got their, you know, their check-in and their, and their tag info with it. But 
anyway, one time we went to Texas, man, my checked bag was overflowing with breast and, and turkey parts. And I had to put a couple in my checked bag. And I was like, man, when that thing went through this thing, I was like, it's probably not going to be good. So it went through the thing and, and the lady and the lady motioned me over there. And uh, I actually had a wild boar ham in there, too, because I shot a wild boar when I was in Texas and flew one of the hams back. And uh, trip, she pulled man. it out of there. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was, it was awesome. So anyway, she pulled that ham out of there, and she had her gloves on, and she's kind of moving it around in her fingers. And she was like, what is this? And uh, I was like, well, ma'am, that's a uh, that's a wild boar ham. And uh, she just kind of looked at me, and she said, yeah, I could see the bones on it when it went through the thing. She was like, all right, I'm just checking. She put it in there, zipped it up, and I went on my way, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, so it was wild. I was like, yeah, she's taking this thing, but. Yeah, it was it was all good, man. Yeah. Um, as far as the skinning part, I mean, that would be really intimidating to somebody or most people. Um, it, it, watching your video and stuff with you and Dave, is that something that anybody can do? I mean, if they took the time and skin it out, I mean, first time that they'd never done that in their life, is that something they could do a pretty good job and still save a pretty good amount? Oh, yeah. If you're semi-handy with a knife, you know, anybody can do it. You know, the the skin is paper thin, but, you know, a lot of times when you're skinning just by pulling on it, it comes off, you know. So it's it's really not hard, but if you're one of those people that can't even cape a deer, you know, have to Google how to cape a deer, or you're just <laughs> yeah. not really handy with a knife, I would not attempt it. But if you're semi-handy with a knife, I, I promise you, if I could do it in the beginning, you could do it in the beginning. But, you know, if you're one of those guys that takes them to the, your deer to the processor and just has no clue what's going on. Don't try to skin a turkey. But if you if you are even remotely handy with a knife, you can do it. Okay. Yeah, that that would be pretty intimidating to someone, you know, to start skinning on their turkey they're wanting to have mounted. So Yeah, no, absolutely. That that was a good tip you mentioned, um Tanner, when you're flying to have a a, a little collapsible soft sided cooler in your in your bag so that you can throw all that stuff in it on your, your way back. That's a good tip. Oh yeah. And I, I'll pack it with clothes or whatever on the way out. Or a lot of times I take food with me on the way out. So I don't have to buy as much, you know, we make a lot of deer jerky and bologna and stuff and I'll put it in there on the way out. And then we're going to be eating it. And then when I come back, I'll <clears throat> throw the turkeys in the breast and that, and that soft cooler. And it just, it, you know, I'm not as worried about it keeping them cold as much as this. It protects them, you know, a little bit more so than I get smashed and, whatever else but yeah that's uh we used to you know in the beginning we would buy a cheap cooler at walmart you know when we got to wherever we were going and by the end of it you know we were taking cooler those you know the soft coolers had become a thing and we were taking those with us and that's worked out good you know that's that's you know always top of the list whenever i'm flying is make sure to have one of those and you know doesn't even have to be one of the yetis you know they make all kinds of cheap soft coolers so you can put stuff in yeah right that's 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 a good tip and i'm definitely going to invest in one of the the bags you had mentioned i'd heard you talk about with with traveling and flying i believe it's the pathfinder bag oh yeah man those things are those things are awesome just get ready to pay the overweight baggage fee if you have a bunch of stuff in there because it's a little bit heavy to begin with you know but if you're not flying home with you know with with a bunch of stuff in it or if you separate them between your carry-on and a backpack or whatever you should be fine but as far as getting cooler and boots and a vest in it i mean they're a game changer yeah yeah i've got a in prior i'd only ever flown to hawaii that i've got a couple different trips this year that i'm going to be flying so i definitely want to have something that uh 
can make all that a, a little bit easier and get everything packed into it. But I, I don't, I don't <laughs> think I'll be coming back with any wild boars or anything. <laughs> uh, I've had, uh, I've had several people message me about that bag once I mentioned it on, uh, on Cameron and Andy's podcast. I'm like, man, these guys should be giving me a cut of this friggin' these bag sales on Amazon. I've sold them about ten. <laughs> Yeah, I've not checked in a while, man. They might be sold out. Dang on. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm up to check that out for sure, and uh, using that as I go into this season. Um, and then, as far as anybody getting their turkey to you, let's say they when they want you to mount it, and they've got everything done, they they can just they can mail that, they can ship it. What's what's a common way to to get a turkey to a taxidermist? You know, via via mail from a distance. Yeah, so most of the people that mail them here, you can either cape them out, like I said, and mail them, or most people that mail them, we get them, you know, every week this time of year in the mail frozen. Uh, but anyway, all you have to do is get you this an old cheap cooler from Walmart that's big enough that it's not going to bend its tail feathers or whatever, or even a plastic tote uh, from Walmart that you can fit the bird down in. And you want to make sure that he's that he's frozen good and solid and, and that he's in a couple contractor bags or whatever uh, bag you put him in. Uh, but anyway, uh, I tell everybody to mail them on a Monday. You'll want to put them in that cooler or that plastic tote, duct tape it, you know, duct tape it so the lid doesn't come off or whatever. And then you'll want to insulate around the turkey. Uh, you'll either want to put packing paper or whatever you can put in there. Some people put those uh, pre-frozen ice packs in there with them. But, dude, I don't know if you've ever froze a turkey and then unthawed them. But once those guts and everything freeze in the inside, it takes some things about three or four days to thaw out. So it's really not even necessary. You know, if the turkey gets, you know, like I said, it takes them a while to spoil and it takes them a long time to thaw out. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you just put him in a cooler, a plastic tote and mail him on a Monday and just make sure he gets here, before, you know, by the end of the week, you're not going to have any problems. But a lot of people are intimidated, you know, by mailing them like that, just thinking they're going to spoil. but like I said, it takes them a long time to spoil, and uh, it's 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 really not not a big deal either. The shipping, you know, you can probably usually get them here for a hundred dollars, or sometimes even less, just depending on the size of what you had to fit him in. Uh, so, and then uh, as far as the finished mount goes, we have a shipping company that we use uh, exclusively. They just they have four trucks, and they travel around the country picking up mounts from taxidermists and drop them off at customers. So once your bird's done, I get you on the list and the semi gives you a call and they drop it off at your house or meet you somewhere and you pick it up. So I've, really I've cool. never heard of that. Yeah, they just started That's up pretty... in the last couple of years. They're making a kill and doing it. I bet. Yeah, yeah, but it what makes a... it nice, man, because they used to have to build a crate and send them like that, and that's really dangerous doing this. But now you just screw them to the wall in that semi and you got nothing to worry about. What what about uh, like the turkey's head? Is there anything special that you need to do? You just tuck it under the wing, or you know, I've heard different things. What what do you recommend? Uh, yeah, you know, a lot of a lot of guys are fussy about getting blood on the feathers from the head, but you know, you're going to wash them anyway, and a lot of times that blood, you know, even if it's dried on the feathers, you can get it out if you wash them in warm water and dawn or whatever. But uh, just to help that, a lot of guys. Uh, we'll take a paper towel and just keep it in their vest. And if you just plug that paper towel in his mouth and then, you know, put a Ziploc or something over his head and just zip tie it, that'll keep blood from getting all over his feathers and maybe drying on his feathers. Just give you a little bit nicer mouth. Uh, it's not completely necessary, but if you want, you know, if you want to keep him pristine, you definitely need to get that head covered up, you know, in between getting him from where you shot him to getting him in the freezer. 
just uh just keep any blood off the feathers you want to keep the feathers as nice as you can now your your white one from hawaii uh was it a did it clean up pretty well i mean was it pretty oh, easy my to clean God. Up? <laughs> I know no you no no so so we got back and you know he did one of those numbers where he's kind of facing away from me and you shot him in the back of the head and then their head just snaps and they just lay their head back on themselves and god he was you know, as you can see in the video, he was a bloody mess. He was wet, you know, so I took him back to where we were staying at in Hawaii, man. I got him in the shower and rinsed him off. And then I blow dried him for like three hours, you know, getting him, getting him back to how he was. And, uh, and then we took him up on the mountain, we, you know, took pictures with him and then I skinned him and I went to thaw him out to mount him, you know, probably like six or eight months later. And, uh, when when I got to his back, man, it was like all his back feathers were burnt, like the ends of them were crispy. And I was like, man, I was messaging other taxidermists and stuff. I was like, man, I've like melted these feathers or whatever. And there was like, there's, you know, I've never even heard of that. And this is the only thing, like if you look at the back, that whole back of that white turkey is like his feathers are crispy. And here's my theory which i think is valid man you know that turkey was living at like nine thousand feet and you know how intense the sun is up there like if you got any skin exposed you're burnt right right so my theory is man those white feathers the pigment in them like you know where his back was getting beat with the sun down all day it actually burnt those feathers on the back because if you look at his breast feathers or any other feathers they're perfect but that but his whole back the his his back is crispy and almost yellow man and huh. uh and and I kind of felt it when I when I shot him, I felt his back, and I was like, man, those feathers feel like they're, you know, feel like they're crispy on the end. And uh, I never put two and two together, so I was trying to figure out, you know, what happened to these feathers. I thought it was a mistake that I made, man, but it, it was just, you know, being white and living up in that intense sun, it actually burnt his back, you know, living yeah. up there. No shade anywhere really up there either, so yeah. they don't yeah. have any, yeah, wild, anywhere man. to get out of it, so. Yeah. That that was yeah. noticeable on the back, like you like you said, where it's uh, the tips are you know they had that shade of black. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's wild. You know, I've mounted a handful of white turkeys and have never had any problems till him. And that's uh, that's the only thing I can I can figure. But you know, there's there's no way those white feathers could stand up with that sun. You know, thinking about it without getting burnt. You know, if you're up there, you know, even if your neck, you know, even if you got your face mask and your hat on, like my buddy, when we just got back a couple of weeks ago, he had the little, he's, he's bald and he had the little holes in his hat and the sun burnt him through the holes. Like he took his hat off and he had all these little burn dots on his head. <laughs> I was making fun of him the whole time. But yeah, there's just no way those white feathers could stand up to that sun up there. Yeah. And it wasn't exactly hot or that warm when I was there, but the back of my neck you know, I could feel that after uh, a couple of days of being up there. So, oh yeah, yeah that air is just so awesome. thin, man. You you catch all the rays. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Um, you know, Tanner, you had mentioned you, your kids, and you've got one that that's really young. What about your oldest son? How old is he? And do you have any plans of uh, going out to hunt with him, or have you already done that? Or what, what's your plans with him? Does he take interest in the hunting yet? Uh, man, I hope so. You know, I'm just not trying to push it. You know, I just, I'm kind of let, let him tell me when, you know, when he wants to do certain things, but I, uh, man, I, I got a backpack and I'm taking, every time I go somewhere, I'm taking him in that backpack, you know, with me. And, um, uh, I took him squirrel hunting in the backpack and 
he, I don't know what it is, dude, but the, the little fellow loves guns. I'm telling when he wakes up in the morning, he's got a Nerf gun or like a fake gun in his hands and he's, he's blasting everybody, you know? And, um, <laughs> so, so that gives me hope, you know? And, uh, and he loved the squirrel hunting thing. You know, I put little earmuffs on him and, and we shot a couple squirrels while he was in the backpack. And a couple weeks ago when trapping season was, was still in, I was trying to catch a raccoon over here across the road from me. And, uh, I was going to let him shoot it out of the live trap, you know, cause I've had the 22 out and he shot some cans and stuff with some little subsonics that aren't very loud. And he gets a kick out of that. <laughs> and, uh, we we're on the side by side whenever he checked the traps and there was a skunk in it. And, mm. uh, and uh, I had the little like Codwell tripod thing. So of course he's too young to aim or anything like that, but I was just going to get it on it and let him pull the trigger or whatever. But, but the skunk's in the live trap and I know it's going to spray or be bad or whatever. And, uh, I was like, Rhett, you want you want to shoot that skunk? And oh, he he was pumped up. He said, Yeah, I want to shoot it, Daddy. So I got the I got the tripod down, you know, and, and let him shoot the skunk in the live trap. And oh, buddy, he was he was pumped up. But the bad thing is, man, that's the first kind of skunk I've ever dealt with, and we didn't oh. get close to it. But when we got back, my wife was like, You two get outside and get rid of them clothes. You know, <laughs> we smelled like skunk that whole evening. So uh, it was uh, it was a little bit of a mistake. But anyway, my. <laughs> I'm hoping, man, that, that he wants to hunt. He, uh, he's, uh, it seems like he will, you know, but I'm not going to force it on him. You know, I'm going to kind of let him go when he wants to go. Cause I know that's finicky, man. If they have a bad experience when they're little, they may turn them off for forever. So I'm just trying to be, I'm trying to be as cautious as I can with it. Cause I want him to love it and I don't want to push it on him too hard and it's hard not to. So uh, yeah. it's kind of uncharted territory for me. Mm-hmm. He's completely and surrounded man. by it, so I'd say he's going in the right direction. So. <laughs> I don't know, man. He comes out here in the shop, and there's 50 turkeys around. He doesn't even bat an eye, dude. It's just like normal for him. Other kids come in here, and it's like stimuli overload. You know, they're like, oh, my gosh, my kid, just he don't even glance at him. You know, I guess it's just because he's been around it since he was little. So I guess maybe yeah. that's normal. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and, man, the uh, you nailed that on the skunks. I, I got one in a trap this year, kept my distance, shot it. And then just happen to get downwind from it, and I'm telling you, oh, what, you're done. Yeah, everything. You're done. <laughs> like I left. I, I left it alone and and circled way around it to go check some more traps. And just from being, man, just just downwind from 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 a distance, dude. I had stuff. My wife had me take stuff out, kick, kicked it out, go hang it up somewhere else, and it took forever to get that that smell off of it. And man, I, I couldn't imagine actually getting sprayed by one. <laughs> oh man it's that'd be yeah, unreal it's, it's it's bad and i've got I, i'm hoping he's got some good morals too because it wasn't long after that we checked him we had a tomcat in the in the live trap and we've got so many feral cats around my house like they need to go and i gave i gave old Rhett the option i was like Rhett, you want to you want to shoot that nasty tomcat and he said we don't shoot cats daddy and i was like all right man good answer and uh <laughs> and we let the cat go and he ran out through the woods but uh you know he uh, he he knew not to shoot the cat. I was kind yeah. of you know kind of just just seeing what his response would be. <laughs> I kind of I hope he doesn't want to shoot. I, I hope he doesn't want to shoot this thing, but I'm gonna ask him anyway. <laughs> yeah, he's like, yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> yeah. His yeah. name's Rhett, huh? Yeah, Rhett, Rhett, and the youngest one's Ryder. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, my my son's name is Rhett. Yeah, that's cool. Oh, really? 
Yeah, I, I was waiting on you to say your your other one. I didn't know if it was a boy or a girl. His name's Reese. That'd be pretty eerie if it was. Uh, my daughter's yeah, name. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we we were almost going to go the Reese route. I really like that name, and and you know how women are. Uh, apparently, she had some friend or whatever that named one of her kids Reese. So that was completely out of the question. Oh, I'll be darned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so Tanner, um, you're there in West Virginia. Can you tell us a little bit about, and, and as we wrap things up, kind of like the area you hunt, what, what's West Virginia like terrain-wise? You know, I've, we all obviously have a good idea, but people listening, what's it like hunting there, turkey hunting? What what are some things you encounter within your state? And uh, kind of talk about that a little bit, if you don't mind. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm almost glad, you know, well, I, I'm really glad that I grew up hunting turkeys in in Appalachia and in West Virginia because you know it's steep here and the turkeys live in some steep nasty terrain and uh I promise you if you can kill them in West Virginia and the kind of stuff they live in around here you can kill them anywhere so you know they're as tough as they come you know as, as far as terrain and and uh getting hunting pressure and things like that but you know a lot of times we're hunting really steep stuff the turkeys will use fields you know occasionally you know on private land and there's some farmland but the majority of them live back in the mountains you know and that's if you want them that's where you're going to have to chase them at so i'm fortunate that i grew up chasing them and that kind of stuff because if you know if you can get close to them in this a lot of times you can figure out how to get close to them you know anywhere that you go but it's just you know it's it's a lot steep there's some rolling you know there's some rolling hills in it but you know it's it's also good i guess for hunting pressure man because a lot of times whenever you get where you're going if you want to hunt them there's only one way and that's straight up and that deters mm-hmm. a lot of people you know around here and uh if you're not in shape man it's it's pretty simple you're not gonna kill very many turkeys around here on public land or you know if i guess if you got a jam up piece of private land but you know you got to have your stuff together to chase them in this so you can have a heart attack for sure yeah, that that asks a little more out of you, and it gives you a little bit of an edge. Also, when you when you do take to the road and you go from these other places, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's it's uh, you know, and our terrain is, is is similar to you know a lot of stuff in North Georgia or over there in Western North Carolina. You know, if I closed my eyes and 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 opened them, you know, a lot of those places you would think you were in West Virginia. So a lot of places it's just like being home hunting. You know, it wasn't until I got really far down south or. You know, in that Western stuff where, you know, that's when things started getting different. But like I say, man, this is, in my opinion, is a, is the toughest stuff to, to chase a turkey in. You know, the, the swamps down south and things like that are tough. But, you know, just as tough as chasing them in really steep terrain where they like to live around here. Especially early season. I, I hunt Tennessee quite a bit. And, um, man, early season in that type of terrain, it is tough because – they can get on those ridges and see all the way to the bottom. And, I mean, you just, uh, you know, usually it takes a week or two. Tennessee used to open up pretty early, but they've moved it up now. So, um, it usually it, it always got a little easier after everything started greening up, you know, and you could sneak yeah, around. You can move on them. So. Yeah, it makes it tough, man, early season, like you said. You know, if you got a turkey in the hall, you can't move on him. I mean, he's just like he's surrounded. He can see everything, and you can't even get a piece of terrain on him. Uh, they definitely use that to their advantage. Um, yeah, so. yeah they, know, they know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, Tanner, where can people 
you know, find your work, assuming do you want more business or do you feel like you're over? (laughs) Should we just cut Uh, that part out? Do you still uh, like, do you still advertise? (laughs) No, no, I don't do, you know, just on social media and stuff. I post stuff. I used to do shows and and things like that and set up a booth, but those those days are kind of over for me. But, um, you know, I, I, I do a lot of stuff on Instagram and Facebook and my handle is my business name, which is full draw taxidermy. Uh, but yeah, you know, I, 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 I never stopped taking turkeys. I'm hoping I get to the point, you know, I still mount, you know, close to a hundred deer still now, but you know, if I could get up to the point where I'm just taking in about 200 or a little over turkeys and I don't have to take in any deer, that would be great. So, um, uh, you know, I'm still working. I'm still, still taking them. Yeah, man. I, I just couldn't imagine going in there every day and looking at all of it. Thinking, God, I got to, <laughs> I got to do, I got to do all these. I, I say that to my, my taxidermist here locally. I see all the, the deer racks and stuff hanging up and I'm thinking, my gosh, you've got to, you've got to mount all those. I, I just rather yeah, step out it, the highway, I think. <laughs> it, yeah, it is overwhelming to think about, but it's just like anything else, man. You just take up one mount at a time, you know, there's 365 days in a year. If, if you're, you know, if you're taking it one mile at a time and, and, and working diligently, you know, but taxidermy is not a thing where you can, you know, I, I think a lot of taxidermists get themselves in a bind, man, because you know, how I guess it's like this with any business where you're self-employed, man. But if you, if you start taking it easy on it, man, you start, they start piling up on you. And next thing you know, you've had them for two years or whatever, and people are griping at you. So, uh, you know, it's, I don't take any days off, man. If, you know, if I'm not turkey hunting, even on the weekends, you know, I'm out here working, but you know, that's the nice thing about having my shop close to my house. You know, I can, I can work, you know, a couple hours and and on the weekends and things like that when it's not season, but you know, it's, it's definitely, it's, it's, you don't have any time to take off, you know, you gotta, you gotta plan accordingly when you, when you're staring down the barrel, you know, over 200 mounts in a year. Do you have somebody that helps you in the spring? Like when you're turkey hunting and you have somebody that uh, helps take birds in when you're not there? Uh, I wish I did, man, but I don't. I mean, it's all yeah. me, you know, paperwork, everything. Yeah, my wife helped me a little bit before we had kids, but you know, she doesn't have any time to, to help me now either. But um, it's uh, yeah, just a, just a one man show, man. Just <laughs> just running yeah. around here trying to take care of everything. But you know, I, it's like I say, it's it's a lot, and I would love to have uh, I would love to have somebody here just to help skin or something like that, man. But on the other hand, I'm. I'm also OCD and I know I would have so much in time invested into teaching somebody, you know, I just don't know if it's even, you know, if it's worth it, I'm sure it would be if you found the right guy, but it's hard to find the right person to do this because it just is, it's not something you can just pick up, man. It's just such a steep learning curve, but even on the skinning part, you know, it's just, it's an investment to take somebody on and, you know, I just haven't, haven't got to the point where I've had to yet, but I'm, I'm pretty close to being there. Yeah. What's the, if you don't mind, what's, what's one of the coolest mounts that just stand out to you that you've uh, mounted, I guess, over the years? Um, you know, just color phase turkeys, you know, are really, are really fun for me to mount those red, those red phase or those melanistic or even the white turkeys. You know, I've done a bunch of those from all over the country, you know, are, are fun, are fun for me to do. And, um, you know, I haven't done, you know, too many crazy off the wall poses or things like that, but those color face turkeys, you know, are, are really fun for me to mount. And I take in, uh, I take in a handful of black bears from here in West Virginia a year. And, you know, I get a, I get to do, uh, 
I get to do several of those. And I actually got to do a, a, a little cub that passed away from one of the game uh, game farms here close to the house. So uh, I got the chance to, to mount a little black bear cub and they got it on display at, at one of their, uh, I guess, one of their uh, offices or whatever uh, where the cub lives. So that was, that was a cool little project. To work yeah. On. That's cool. So, yeah. Well, I applaud you, Tanner, for uh, kind of living out your dreams, whether it's as a turkey hunter or the, the taxidermy and kind of juggling everything and working hard. And that's, that's, that's obvious that you're a hard worker and determined on things, and you've gotten yourself to where you are today. And I encourage anybody out there that doesn't already to follow your Instagram page and Facebook, but definitely Instagram, and check out your uh, your videos and stories you put out with all your mounts. And it's just incredible, man. I appreciate that, man. It's been a, uh, you know, like, like I said, it's been a journey. So it's, uh, it's satisfying. It really is the, you know, you know, built this thing from nothing, you know, so it's, uh, it's not like I had a dad or a granddad. So it is, it is satisfying to, to see where it's going. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I plan on doing it for, for as long as I can, you know, as long as my hands hold up, but it's definitely been satisfying. It's been a process, you know? Yep. Yeah. It just makes you appreciate it even more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, we'll wrap it up here, Tanner. Um, I know from my end, I uh, look forward to keeping up with you and any videos you can get and post with with Kenny when you're hunting with him. Please put those out there because that's always <laughs> a nice, a nice, chuck, a nice chuckle. Um, and yeah, and good luck this season and with your business and all that uh, you got going on, man. Wish you the best. Yeah, I appreciate it, boys. Thank you guys again for having me on and. Good luck this spring, man. I hope you guys knock them down. Yeah, enjoy talking with you, and appreciate you coming on again. Yeah, no problem, boys. You guys uh, have some safe travels this spring, and hopefully I'll be talking to you again soon. Sounds yep, good. Yeah, absolutely. Take it easy, Tanner. Yep, have a good evening, fellas. Thank you. Well, we said it during the podcast, but you know, Tanner's – work that he does as a taxidermist on on facebook instagram again i'm gonna say that i i encourage anybody to go check it out he he's very consistent with his uh his posts and his stories on the work and detail that he does like up close with his mounts and uh, it's just phenomenal work so whether you're sending your turkeys to him or not or have that intention um definitely go go check out his page you know besides turkey hunting he 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 puts a lot out there with his business and uh and pushes that so great stuff that he does and it was a a really good talk that we had with him Uh, we covered some things that i hadn't ever heard him talk about before in the past on other podcasts so uh real uh a lot of fun having him on yeah yeah that's some good information about uh you know how to get your turkey from wherever you're hunting coming back you know he mentioned his video that him and dave did uh i have watched that video and very informative um encourage anybody to watch that one he he gives tips and stuff about traveling and getting your bird back and packing it and all that kind of stuff so uh definitely a good uh conversation for traveling and uh yeah you, know, I- you never know when you're going to kill with that bird that you really want to bring back um, you know, it doesn't not, you, you don't just go out and say, well, I want to mount this bird when I kill this bird here or there. Uh, sure. you might get out somewhere and kill a multi-bearded turkey that you really want to get mounted. And, you know, you got to kind of be prepared for that. So. Right. Absolutely. And 
we'll include the uh, the link to that video that that he did with that that process um, on uh, on Dave's channel. We'll we'll include that on here so people can go back and watch and also have his uh, social media and website handles and all that. But uh, yeah, and for him to accomplish his U.S. Slam like he did in Hawaii, let alone Hawaii. But uh, with the white turkey, that, that's incredible. And I, I didn't know about the, the the turkey getting flushed off the limb and sailing. And for anybody that's been oh. there, they know if one sets their wings there, it's it's only down. <laughs> it's a long oh, yeah. way down. It's, yeah, it, so. I, I can guarantee you right now that that will never happen again. I can feel very confident to say that. Yeah, forty nine. Forty nine. Oh, it's unbelievable. Know let alone one through 48, but the 49th in Hawaii, that that would be just be magical alone, doing it in that state with how it is so unique. But, man, a white turkey, so so incredible. Um, I also find it really cool that, you know, it was his teachers that were the well-known hunters, and they stumbled upon, you know, Kenny Mountain in Alabama and kind of took him under their wing, and then it just... You know, so happened that Tanner got taken down there, and it, you know he did the same thing for him. So a really cool story how all that comes full circle and ties together. Yeah, it's kind of a small world, really, when you start talking to other turkey hunters. You know, and uh, I've I've talked to some, and they know guys that are friends with me as well in other states that I had no idea they had ties. And uh, you you know, it's kind of a small world when you start talking mm-hmm. to everybody and. Uh, friends they know and so it's kind of cool how it all ties together yeah yeah it sure is so uh yeah we 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 thank tanner for his time and he's obviously very busy so uh real good real good talk with him but how about us you're uh you're going to be venturing back out again here soon and um i know we've been doing some listening and scouting here locally at, at our places i'm on spring break this week so it's been nice to get out last weekend and in this week and check on things. The weather's been really good and the turkeys have been very talkative. Yeah. I, I got out this past weekend and uh, Saturday and Sunday morning and uh, just went out to my farm. I usually try to go out there at least once a year before season starts to kind of see how the numbers are and, you know, uh, just hear, hear a goblin, you know, anytime you can get out and hear one gobble, I'm, I'm excited and happy. I've always uh, enjoyed that. And uh, I, the first morning, it was kind of breezy, and I only heard one bird, and he gobbled only four or five times. But uh, the second morning, I heard I heard at least three, and they gobbled pretty good. And But once they flew down, I mean, the, the birds here are still kind of flocked up, I guess. Yeah, uh, sure. I, you know, I, I saw a flock this morning uh, while I was at work that probably had 30 birds in it. And I could see a couple strutting. Uh, I know you sent me some pictures today. And uh, so they're still kind of flocked up right now. So as soon as they flew down Sunday, I mean, that was it. I didn't hear any more gobbling. So, um, but I I would say, you know, the next couple weeks it's going to start breaking and they're going to start splitting up pretty good and, uh, you know, just any day now. So especially with the temperatures, they're warming up. I mean, everything's going to start greening up. It's all getting ready to bust wide open for springtime yeah the days days are getting longer each and every day and uh the weather we've had we i know we've got a, a pretty early spring here um and and going out doing the scouting a couple times with some farms i actually got out on foot 
cover the ground and, and put some ears on it. But then, like like you said, and like what what happens when they're still in the big groups, um, they're all just kind of bunched up in those sections. And when they hit the ground, you're not going to hear much more vocalization, really. So when you invest it going into one spot, it's hard to really get to another place to put ears on it. So uh, um, today, I kind of stayed close to the truck and listened and hauled tail to the next spot, just trying to still get some ears on them while they're up on the on the limb, on the roost. And then, you know, when they hit the ground, they're they're done for the most part. And you can go drive around and, and look that way. But... Yeah, our weather's been great for it, and it's it's been good to get some inventory and and scout some farms. Yeah, and I guess when this uh, this episode airs, will only be about a week out from when me and you go to Tennessee. So I'm looking mm. forward to that. Hard to believe yes. it's already here. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I just looked at the calendar earlier. I'll finally get uh get off the bench. It'll be two weeks this weekend. Two weeks away, so man, yeah. cannot wait. Can't wait. It's going to be a lot of fun, and you're heading out this weekend to to go on another trip. So, uh, be wishing you the best there, and good safe travels to you. And hopefully, you guys are successful with uh, filling a tag. Yeah, I, I'm going with a buddy of mine uh, to Alabama, and we actually went in '97. That was my first out of state trip. And his too for any kind of hunting, and uh, so we haven't been we haven't hunted together in a long time. So we're gonna get together and go back to Alabama and uh, try it again, and just for old times' sake, I guess. And hopefully we'll get to hear some birds. I think we're gonna have good weather, so pretty excited about that. That's always a uh, plus when you're traveling. Yeah, that's always one of the first things you're you're hoping for because the weather can dictate so much. I mean, you're going to go and you're going to hunt no matter what, but to get the the best out of it, you know, the weather plays a big part, and that's something you can't control. So when it does go your way, it definitely makes it makes it a little bit better. Yeah, uh, the weather. I'll tell you what. It's um, you know, I kind of I used to really pay attention to it, but anymore I don't. Um, I know several mornings that you know I was like, well, I'll just stay here until the storm passes or whatever and man get up and it never even stormed i mean right you know so it's uh I, I just get up and go no matter what you know it's if i have to sit in my truck and wait on the rain to let up or quit so be it but it's, and uh, unless it it's can, like it can't fool you sometimes yeah and, it, and not even really the the rain and i'm sure a lot of turkey hunters can vouch for this the daggone wind man I cannot stand the wind. I, I don't care what I'm dealing with, but especially turkey hunting, I do not like it. Um, Probably the worst thing you can have. Yeah. It, granted, it's going to maybe help where you could find them. Just like, I don't care at all about the rain, assuming it's not just a straight downpour. I think that can really help uh, um, put them in certain places. You kind of figure out what they're going to be doing a little bit better. But, man, if it's if it's windy and breezy, I just kind of just... It, Takes that out of you a little bit, but again, you're still going to go as long as it's not too threatening. But that's just one of those that uh, you never look forward to seeing. You know, it. You, you have to change your tactics. Uh, I've killed some in some pretty windy days. I mean, where you couldn't hear anything, but it's not my ideal way to hunt them. Um, but you can get away with some movement. You can sneak in on them. Uh, there's a lot of different tactics that you can use. You know, you just have to adapt to every one of them. You know, if it's windy or raining or whatever, you just have to 
be able to adapt to that. And, uh, you know, there's different ways to hunt them. So, yep, absolutely. Yeah. And one thing will just lead to another and we'll be you, me, or both of us will be hunting somewhere else the next week. It's just going to keep getting, uh, it isn't going to slow down anytime soon. I don't think. I think we're just fixing to throw the big log on the fire right now. <laughs> it's getting ready to take off, and we won't have to tend the fire for a while. It'll be one every weekend for, you know, for a while. So well, I'm just going to try and enjoy getting... it, and hopefully it won't go by too fast. So Thank God we're throwing a log on it because I'm getting pretty darn cold over here. <laughs> I need to warm up a little bit, man. Yeah. You catch an ember every now and then, I guess. But. And I guess so. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Um, yeah. And uh, as far as our, our calls and apparel, um, check that out. If you're in need for uh, turkey calls and, and things like that, check out the website, social media page. And we're uh, yeah. getting we're stuff sold out there. right now of the, uh, the couple cuts. We're actually sold out of them, but... Uh, should have those back in stock in a day or two and be right back going again. So appreciate everybody that's purchased calls, you know, and a lot of stores have started picking them up and carried them in their stores. And we'll uh, eventually have a list on the website where you can buy them locally. And uh, so that'll be coming up probably after turkey season when everything kind of settles down. But uh, you can always order them online and uh, until then. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we've got them out in, in, in the stores, and they've been selling really well. So, as always, we appreciate everybody giving them a chance and the, the feedback that they've given us. Yep, I had some really good uh, feedback on the, all the calls. So, um, we should uh, probably have some more cuts this summer, too, After probably after season ends. We're going to have uh, – I know we talked about our signature cuts. We'll get into mm-hmm. that. And uh, – We've got some other other ideas that we're going to incorporate. So, got a lot coming up. Been game planning a lot with it, and this off season after we kind of get past the turkey season, we got a little bit more time to to focus on it. We've got a lot of things we're going to try to put together and have in store for the uh, for the following year. So, yeah, keep up with that, and we'll be sure to keep everybody posted on what we got going on. Next year is going to be pretty exciting. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna be full blast, I believe. So. Uh, maybe we can get stocked up this summer and get everything ready and rolling and be ready for the start of next year. So Maybe it'll get to the point where we can be like Tanner. You can quit Squint. doing what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, but then we'll be tied yeah. down with this all the time, so we'll be. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It. Probably, able to to get my, sometime. probably be able to get my wife to come down and press out some calls maybe or something like that while yeah, I'm gone doing something else. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like it's that that really good, but I don't think that's going to work. No, no doubt. All right, man. Well, we'll wrap this one up. And, uh, Billy, good luck to you as you head out to hunt, and we'll talk about that next week. Sounds good. Uh, look forward to hunting with you and uh, getting this thing kicked off this year. So we're almost there. Can't wait. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Turkey Hunting USA podcast. We would appreciate it if you could leave a rating and write a review. Be sure to subscribe to the Turkey Hunting USA podcast and website and like us on Facebook and Instagram to keep up to date on news and product releases. 